Hey everybody, Max Bullman here alongside Corey Pronman for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. If you're wondering why did why did we just hear from you guys, you're already back again. Well, in the immortal words of Gary Bedman, we have a trade to announce. We have uh, acquired the rights to today's episode for uh, for scheduling duties to be named later. So we do appreciate that from uh, from Ian and Haley. But we just wanted to do a full wrap on the draft. Obviously, we talked about round one on the floor Thursday night. Friday was uh, maybe not quite as busy as as the Thursday events, uh, but a lot more picks were made. And and with some hindsight, we wanted to just dive right in and and give you the full wrap, starting, Corey, with with a few of the drafts that we like the most. And I know for you, that starts right at the very top. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the the draft, at least the draft class I like the most. Uh, was that of the Montreal Canadiens, and obviously a, a large part of of when I especially when getting out those grades at the at the end of the draft is mostly due to the high picks and who has the most high picks tend to tends to be a strong correlation. But if it was just about just the number one overall pick, Yuri Slavkovsky, uh, it, it, they wouldn't have just gotten that high grade just purely on that. It, it, the Montreal had a lot of picks. I think it was like 12, 13, 14 picks. I forgot the exact number they had. Coming into the draft, and I don't know if they made all of them. Um, reg- regardless, it's Slavkovsky, who I, I I really believe in and think has a chance to be an impact player. It's his uh, Slovakia U18 teammate Philip Meshar, who I think has a has a strong chance to become a top nine winger in the NHL. Owen Beck, who I think has a strong chance to become a bottom six four in the National Hockey League. It's Lane Hudson, uh, the often debated Lane Hudson, uh, who dropped to a predictable range in the draft. Uh, due to his size as a defenseman, but uh, who I think has the potential to become a uh, a useful uh, power play defenseman in the National Hockey League. And even beyond those guys, there were a couple of picks that, that I liked and I think have chances to help their team down the line. And Well, they took uh, your your big swing, right, in, in Turney? They took him in the seventh? Oh, oh, yeah, they took him in the seventh. So obviously a little... A little um, uh, lower than I am rated, and I thought that if he was if he was going to drift, if at all, it was going to be in the sixth or the seventh. And I, but you know, I had Roar on my list, I had Adam Engstrom on my list, I had Cedric Ginda on my list. Uh, you know, they picked a lot of guys that I like, so you know, it doesn't mean I'm right or they're right. But in, in terms of just o- overall, whose draft I like the most and and who I think added the most talent to the organization uh, uh, this past week, it, it was the Montreal Canadiens. Without even getting into Kirby Duck, yeah. Seattle, I thought, was another interesting one. And, and, you know, they get some of the names, you know, Yanni Neiman, Jagger Ferkus, in addition to having Shane Wright drop into their into their lap. Um, those are a couple of guys who I think a lot of people maybe in the public sphere were also uh, excited about. And, and this is a team, when you're starting a farm system from scratch, and, and they very much still are, um, they finally kind of had the, the big pick-heavy first three right. rounds this year that they didn't last year. And they come out of this really good, too. They've now got a really good foundation in place here this is one of the top five probably drafts of the of the weekend yeah for me for me it is obviously again start, start at the top Shane Wright uh, that that's the big reason why, why you're excited about this draft class but in the same way I kind of did with Montreal you look at Jagger Furcus and I think he's got a pretty good chance to become a top nine winger I think Yanni Neiman has a, has a good chance to play uh, you know then there's a couple other guys you know throughout the draft Ty Nelson Ben McDonald Tucker Robertson David Goyette uh, none of them, I think, are locks to make it, but have all at least have chances to play. And uh, and uh, they, um, Tobias Lainen, uh from Finland was the first goalie off the board at 41 to Buffalo. The second goalie off the board was Nicholas Coco, uh, the backup goalie uh, in that age group uh, to Seattle there in, in the 50s. 
I didn't have him on my list, but I appreciate the athlete. Six three moves really well. His performance was inconsistent, but he, but he was a, a. I know he was a guy that was was desired around the league, and I, I think yes, you look at the totality. This looks more like an expansion team um, NHL draft where the where they invested in the future and got lots of assets, and uh, they still need a lot more. The farm system is not being is done being built, but I think you look at you know right. Jagger Furkis combined with Manny Beniers, combined with Ryan Winterton, combined with Riker Evans. Uh, and I think that you're starting to at least get a little bit more of a future foundation being built there right now. So there was a trade that happened on Thursday night that in the chaos of everything around it happening, I don't know if got quite enough attention. And that was at number 11, the trade down by San Jose. Uh, Arizona comes up, they take Connor Geeky. Uh, we didn't talk about that too extensively, I don't think, on on the Thursday episode. I don't think we talked about it at all, actually. Right. And, so, and, and and I, to your point, I, it's I, not that we overlooked Arizona and San Jose. It's just a lot of things happened, and we were pressed for time, and it was getting late. We had to early turn around the next day. No excuses, though. We got to give this trade. It's 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 fair, you know, airtime here. And I thought that was one of the most interesting moves. Looking back now, in hindsight, because it, it kind of begs the question. If, if you were Arizona or San Jose, do you prefer 11 or do you prefer 27, 34, and 45? Looking at the players San Jose got and the player Arizona got or could have gotten with that pick. And if you look at Dom Luschichin's player uh, draft value chart, I think San Jose does come out on the better end of this deal. Is that right? In the abstract, even before you get to the players. Yeah, that, that sounds right to me. And just my personal opinion Connor Geeky wasn't the highest guy I had right on my list. That would have been Joachim Kamel and, and Jonathan Lekaramaki and Daniel Yurov, one of those three. But let's just say they had picked Kamel there at 11. I would probably prefer Philip Bystedt and Camland and Matthias Havlid over Kamel, over Lekaramaki, and, and over, and over Geeky. Arizona, I'm guessing, feels differently. They're, if they made that move to go all the way up from 27 to 11 to get Geeky, they were probably in the camp of, where a lot of people were Connor Geeky around December and January, I felt around the league where you're like, okay, this guy's going to be a premium top two line, big, heavy center uh, who provides offense. Uh, I, I wasn't there. And I think that opinion dwindled a little as the year went on, but, but obviously I knew people who still believe that. And they definitely believe that to make that move. Well, and certainly if, when you come out of this now from Arizona, you look at it and you say they now have a coolly geeky one-two punch to look forward to down the future. Those are different kinds of players. I think that's a good thing for them. Depending what happens with Barrett Hayton too, right? Right, exactly. And if Barrett Hayton is, is better than one of those two guys, then all of a sudden geeky's your, your three C. And I think you're pretty happy about that, all things considered. So uh, I, I don't I don't mind this move from Arizona's standpoint. Uh, and I, I don't mind the pick even from Arizona's standpoint. But I do like it from the shark standpoint. Um, value-wise, and in terms of your list, I know these are all players you had reasonably high in Philip. Uh, is it Bystead or Bystead? Uh, Cam Lund and Matthias Haviland. Yeah, no, and that's kind of where I, I fall, is that I, I wouldn't take any one of those players over Connor Geeky, but I think in totality, I, I like getting all three of those guys. Those are all, all three, you know, especially Bystead and, and Lund are two forwards with size that really didn't exist in the, the Shark system whatsoever. They're those were big upside plays. They were, you know, they're both whatever it is, six two, six three, great skaters have have legitimate offensive skill. When we did the upside ranking, 
Uh, I think both of them were top 15 or, or top 20. I could re- recall the exact one, but they were both high up there. And it's interesting looking back on, on that article I did. And I think a lot of the questions that our readers had is why is Joachim Kamel and Jonathan Lekaramaki not, not in here? And I, I, you got the answer to that question on, on Thursday night is that they're not that big or that great skaters or in the case of Lekaramaki, that physical. So you're basically just left with their skill and their shots. And I think when push came to shove, a lot of NHL teams concluded that's not enough in the top 10. Both of those two guys were in the top 18. And for what it's worth, Geeky was 21 on that list. So from that standpoint, kind of speaks to your point. Yeah. Uh, all right. Moving on to Winnipeg, another draft. I mean, so, so they're an interesting one. They had two picks, uh, one in the middle of the first round uh, and one at the very end of the first round. And then and then on day two, I think they kind of just had their usual, um, you know, clip of, of picks. They come out of it with Rucker McGrory. I think uh, I'm not going to say there's no upside there. There's there is upside there, but but also a very you know what you're getting player. They come back with a big swing on Brad Lambert, and the next day their first pick uh, on, on day two is Elias Salmonson, who early in this draft cycle would have probably been projected a little higher than this when you look at the physical toolkit here. So a nice blend, I think, there for Winnipeg. And same thing with Danny Jokin, whose stock kind of fell but started up higher, higher on lists. It's funny when you look at Winnipeg's draft, I think you look at Rutger McGrory and Brad Lambert, and those two couldn't be more opposite players if, if you tried, where... Uh, both are very skilled offensively, but but Rutger is this high high end compete. Arguably, you could have said the most competitive player in the draft uh, with significant skating issues. Skating issues that I'm talking about around the league, they didn't, they didn't think they would they would take him in the first round due to those skating issues. Um, and then you have Brad Lambert, who is arguably the best skater in the draft and among the top prospects anyway, had one of the lowest compete levels. So it's a really interesting kind of dynamic of two very, very different players with their, with their top two picks. I also think this maybe isn't, uh, I, this isn't high level analysis, but the goalie that Winnipeg picked late, were you in the, on the draft floor still on the risers when they made that pick and the reaction in the crowd for that? I, I heard it. I mean, I, I wasn't looking directly at it, but I, but I heard the yells in the background. That was one of the cooler moments of draft day. And, and this is one of my favorite things in general about covering the draft is when it starts to get late and it starts to get really real for some of these kids who, who aren't, you know, haven't been picked yet. And, and that part's not my favorite, but the part that's my favorite is when one of them does get called, the response is amazing. And I think you could kind of see teams like looking over their shoulder, like, wow, look at how many kids this, this guy brought. Um, I thought that was amazing. Uh, Dom DeVicentis and out of North Bay. It was a really cool moment. I, th- I think Mr. Irrelevant, uh, Ivan Zhigalov to Colorado actually had his, had was had a contingent in the stands too when, when he was picked uh, as the very last pick in the draft. Although in, in my opinion, I mean, kids and parents can do whatever, can do what they want. But if you're an agent, if you don't know for sure if your kid's going to get picked, you, I would recommend not setting them because it's cool when that happens. But I, yeah. I, I hate to see the faces on the kids uh, when that doesn't happen. Uh, but go, going back to the Jets for a second, it's on top of McGordy and Lambert. I, I just look at Salvinson. I think he didn't have the best season, particularly with his international play. But there, there is a lot of assets there where. Like you can envision him maybe becoming at least a third pair defender because he's mobile and he's physical and has some puck moving skill. And if Jilkin kind of finds a way to turn around, this guy has all the talent to become a real NHL forward. So um, they didn't have a lot of picks, but you know Brown is, is a, it's a mobile defenseman. Wagner competes hard; he can skate. Uh, Fabian Wagner, that is, and, and Garrett Brown. Uh, so I don't know, in totality, I thought even though they didn't have a ton of picks, I, I, I kind of liked what they did and the blend of of guys they got with those picks. 
Minnesota was another team with with multiple picks in the first round, and, and we talked ahead of the draft about kind of the the idea of you know kind of playing the draft board a little bit. And they were a team with picks at nineteen and twenty four. Mike Russo wrote a great story about this. Two of the guys they wanted, Liam Ogren and Danila Yurov, and they decided to try to play the board a little bit here. And they they take Liam Ogren first. I haven't seen their board. I can't say for a fact who was higher, but I, I felt like the implication there was they felt like of the two, the one they were more likely to get at 24 was Danila Yurov. They take that chance. They get both of these guys. These are two really important wingers uh, now, potential top six wingers in the Minnesota Wild system. Yeah, we'll talk more about Yurov and, 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 the, and the fall there in the next sure. segment. Uh, but yeah, my suspicion is from just the buzz around the draft floor is I think you were correct that, that Yurov was ahead of Ogren on their list. Um, I, I can't say that for certain though, but, but yes, they end up with both of them. Uh, they end up with Ogren, who's this really competitive, skilled goal scorer, and, and Yurov was one of the most naturally talented players in the draft. Uh, you know, and obviously those two, just together makes for a very interesting, potentially strong draft class. Uh, uh, and now, you know, you're off's fall. You're kind of hoping we're way fall. You're kind of hoping this is the next Gavity Kuznetsov kind of situation there uh, for the Minnesota Wild. But you still look at, you know, Hunter Hage. I wasn't as big on him, uh, mostly because of the skating. The pushback I kept getting from people around the league after the pick was they felt he was a better skater than I was giving him credit for. So something I may have to go back and look, but I wasn't as big on him. But I did like Rieger Lorenz. I like Mikey Mildy where they got him. Healy wasn't on my, Ryan Healy wasn't on my list, but he, he was. The, I think I had him as the what I think a top five overall skater in the draft, top three. So I get the bet there. He was absolutely on my list in the first half of the season. I had him as a top. I thought he'd be a top two or three round pick. To be quite honest, doesn't go that much later in in the fourth round. Um, so like I said interesting draft class, and and definitely with those two first round picks, a, a lot of potential to become impact forwards for that organization. But I like Milne where they got him too. I mean, this is, I mean, he is a late O2 birthday and I, I get that's a little weird, but I think if this was a player that you had drafted in the third round a year ago, because that was his first year eligible and he You're had turned in the year that he had this year, you'd be really happy. So I, yeah. I like that one as well. He was injured in his, in, in his draft season too. On top of that season being truncated, he actually got, he actually got hurt. Uh, so I think there's, the, you know, there's all kinds of hypotheses as we've heard about the COVID year and how much it affected, but this is definitely a guy who's played very little hockey. In that season, and definitely, you know, in his, in his draft season, mind you, and um, this was definitely one of those rare cases we've seen in the CHL where a guy, where a guy truly popped after the COVID year. You know, who's I really liked whose draft, and, and maybe no surprise they had three first round picks, which always helps. Um, but I really liked what Buffalo did, and, and I liked it on day one. I also liked it on early day two. They come out of this, they get Topias Leninen, uh, your top goalie in the draft. They get Victor Noichev, who I believe was on your upside list. Matt Lindgren. These are guys who were top 40, top 45 or so guys for you, who they're picking up in the third and fourth round. And that's on top of what they did in the first. They got Matt Savoy, Noah Osland, uh, and Yuri Kulich, all of whom I think have a chance to play in the top nine of Buffalo in a few years. This is a really good system stocking draft for the Sabres. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. And it's kind of interesting if you look at the Kevin Adams era over the over his first three drafts, it's a lot of bets on skill. You go back to Jack Quinn and, and, J, and J.J. Paterka. You look at Isaac Rosen and Pokar Poltatov, Alexander Kisikov, uh, the, the prior season, and, and this draft too. It doesn't mean there's just pure skill. There isn't, there isn't grit in a lot of these players. There isn't skating in a lot of these players. Uh, I would I would argue in, in all Savoy, Oslin, and, and Kulich, they're all good to very good skaters. 
but they've definitely done a, a notable effort in, in, from what I can see in, in adding high-end skill uh, through their last couple of drafts with this one being no exception. I think you might, you know, if you kind of maybe lock those guys in a room and, and, and try to get, and give them some truth serum, they probably would say they prefer a little bit more size than some of their forward picks right now. Uh, but but in general, uh, I, I think you have to like a lot of the talents coming into Buffalo right now because they do have size and own power. They drafted a 1-1 last year, a, a lot of size, mind you. Um, and, you know, Dylan Cousins is a, is a great big center down the middle who I know didn't have the best season, but I loved his world championships. I think that guy's going to be a, a real impactful NHL player for a long time as, as he matures. And yes, overall, I think, uh, I, I think you look at the Buffalo system right now and, and things look like they're on the up and up. And also a pretty good – I know they're, I know what you're saying, like it's a lot of bets on skill, but they, these are also kind of complementary. You, know, you got Savoy as kind of the small but still gritty and, and he's skilled, but he's, and he scores uh, forward. You got Oslin who's kind of the slippery playmaking type. And you got Coolidge who I loved your comp on him in the rankings as a Ross Colton. These can be complementary pieces. These aren't redundant players here. No, I yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, you know I think Jack Quinn works hard. I think Paul – I think Paterka works hard. Uh, Isaac Rosen maybe is a little bit more kind of the soft skill type of player with the yep. goal scoring ability, but no, I think that's, I don't mean to like disparage these players to say that they can't you know win battles in national hockey, like, especially all of Coolidge, Oakland, and Savoy. I think they all compete hard, and uh, it's just an observation of mine that there that there's that they're definitely prioritized skill and bringing in you know skill scoring ability with, with these high picks. Okay, Corey, uh, let's talk about a couple of the the surprises through the draft, um, and I guess the first surprise that comes to mind. We, we, we talked about Danilo Yurov uh, dropping, and that was sort of expected coming in. But there was a moment, I think sometime around the middle of round three on Friday, that I messaged you, and I was kind of like, it doesn't seem like any of the rest of the Russians have been affected. It it, it affected maybe just specifically Yurov in the first round. And I, I get that the value of the first round picks probably explains that. But in rounds two and three, we saw plenty of Russians going off the board. Yeah, it really feels like, and in my discussions with people around the league, they echoed this, is it really feels the Russian factor with the, with the, with the war in Ukraine and everything like that really only affected one guy, and it was Danila Yurov. I think Pavel Michikov goes right where he expected him to go, maybe even higher where he expected him to go. I have Ivan Morostachenko, all things considered with his health, goes kind of right around where you expected him to go, which was right around the 20 spot. And it was only Daniel Yurov, who I think many people in the league consider a top 12 to 15 guy on talent at a minimum, maybe even higher, ends up going the 24th overall spot to, to Minnesota. But then I think you look at those day two and three picks, whether it is uh, Artem Duda, Gleb Trigosov, Alexander Paravalov, Dmitry Kuchelnikov, uh, Vic- Viktor Noichev, Arsandy Koromyslov. A lot of those guys are going roughly where I expected them to go on talent. I think some I might get some pushback on that from our listeners. I think... Uh, I think Gleb Trikozov got a little bit more public hype than what I think people in the league actually thought of the player. I think most people in the league thought he was a second, third round pick, and that's ultimately where he ends up going. But yeah, it really feels, and it's interesting from a Minnesota Wild perspective, both from the team and from a fan perspective, it feels like the only player who really got screwed by this was Daniela Yurov, at least when it comes to a draft slot perspective. And I ultimately think Daniela Yurov, as much as I'm sure on a from a pride standpoint, from a, you know, being picked where you think your talent is standpoint. I don't, I don't know how that was for him, but I think this is a good landing spot for him. So even insofar as he kind of was the one to, to take the brunt of this, I like the landing spot for him quite a bit, honestly. 
and I'm sure the Wild do because I think they can use Kirill Kaprizov as a as, as a recruiting measure. I you know they they're probably going to get Murat Kuznadinov over at some point too. I think you're kind of envisioning you know, so there's at least some camaraderie there for for those Russian players uh, when they arrive and. And I get your argument on the value perspective. It's why we figured there was going to be a drop for the for these yeah. KHL signed players. Is that at least early in the draft, if it's you versus some other player who is also very good, and these and these are the guys you need to come in and play and make a difference in your organization. I understand leaning the other way. I always just figured when you got to like the third or the fourth round, the differences between the players are so minute to, theoretically. Yeah, uh, I always just figured teams would just lean to the other guy. But what I think happened is I do think there were quite a few teams in the league who were out on the Russians. I, I, I know I've talked to teams who were out on the Russians. But my understanding is there was just, you know, there was a there was a sizable contingent that were in that camp. There was a sizable contingent that were saying to themselves, we'll take them only when it makes perfect sense. And there was a sizable contingent that just didn't give that just didn't care. And I just think there were so many of that people in that third pool that the, the Russians were just going where they belonged on talent because these teams were just seeing them available and they were thinking, oh, well, he's, he's we would have picked in the second round and, and he's there and let's, let's, just, let's just go do it. Well, how much too does the slide of Lekermaki and Kamel play into that for Yurov? Because all of a sudden, you know, if you were a team that wanted a, a really offensive, you know, high upside winger, I know he's a different, Yurov's a different profile. He's got a lot more size and power to his game. But at the end of the day, we saw a, a, a potential top 10 on talent, Lekaramaki slide to 15, a potential top 10 on talent, Joachim Kamel at 17. Like those things could play into that too, very easily. Right. And when you consider which organizations were, we're not going to take a rush. We'll never know for sure exactly why yeah. he got to 24, what every single team thought of him. There was a couple of teams I talked to in the lead up to the draft who just actually were to sold on Yurov as the player. So that all these things are pos- are probably variables, but it is a, it's just interesting to look at the totality of the draft and seeing where the Russians ultimately go and, and seeing that I just don't think there was as big. I think we might have overplayed these issues a little bit in, in the, in the, in the, the lead up discussions to the draft. So to that end, you mentioned a couple of them already. If anything, early on day two, there were a couple of Russians who maybe went earlier than we thought. And the first of those was at 36, Artem Duda. This was one of the picks that Arizona got um, by taking Shane Bear from Philly. Uh, what's the book on Duda here? I had heard that there was some hype for him in the league leading up to draft day. and by, But I thought it was going to be mid, late two, early three. Like maybe mid two was the highest. And there he goes at 36 to Arizona. What people like about him is he's a, what, he's a 6-2 uh, defenseman with really good offensive skills, playmaking ability. He has legitimate offense. Uh, skating always worried me a little bit, so I, I'm not really sure. So the question is, is, is the offense high-end enough, given he's probably not going to be this amazing defender in the NHL? Uh, but like I said, there was kind of this, this rise with him among teams uh, – and so I wasn't shocked that that he went at 36, even though I thought that was a little on the high side for him when I when I was hearing from the buzz around the league. Were you shocked by Dmitry Buchelnikov at 52? I thought he was going to get drafted, and I thought he might even get drafted. Like I had him. I don't know where I had him in the seventh round block. It might have been the fifth or the sixth round. So I thought I knew there was some buzz, and I might maybe it goes in the third, maybe it goes in the fourth, the second. Yeah, I I did not see that one coming when they when when Detroit was announcing Skaz. As the team, I thought, okay, this is Kormislav probably. And when when Bochelnikov goes, I thought, okay, wow, because they, they they believed 
they they watched that guy in the, in in the junior games, and this, I think he was a week or two weeks away from being el- first year eligible for this year's draft. I I could be mistaken on that. Um, yep. Yeah, and he was but, a, a September sixth or something like that. Yeah, you know, so this is a guy who was one of the leading scores in the MHL, a big part of one of the top junior teams in the MHL. You know, great skill, offensive IQ. We could shoot it. My concerns were always the five nine, five ten frame, and not an amazing skater for that size. So I thought that's probably he doesn't probably doesn't go top two rounds. But but uh, they believe they believe in that in in that skill, and and they stepped up to take him because that that was their guy. After watching a little bit of video, full transparency, I did not know anything about this player. So I'm immediately, this is the team I cover frantically. Okay, what do I need to know here? The skill does really pop. I mean, it's it's the hands, it's the ability to, to take it in tight, which I know is very important to Detroit. They don't, they're, obviously nobody's looking for perimeter players, but uh, this guy can finish a little bit. And, and, and he, he obviously is a second leading scorer in the MHL this year. You look at him, he looks like he's about 13 years old. So I think you can understand why... Uh, you know, maybe maybe this year is a little bit of a, a jump for him as he continues to bloom. So, uh, I, this wasn't off the radar one for me, but I think I get what they see here. Yeah, like I said, I mean, you can make the argument if he was whatever. I you always always do this with the guys who are the September birth dates. I was here this one. If he was one week older, if he was one week younger, so so you can do this with this. If if Bochelnikov was uh, one week uh, younger. You know, uh, you know, going into going into last year draft, and this, this, he was now he was first year eligible. I think people would have been, you know, you know, really hyping this kid up. Uh, so I get the argument. Like I said, the skating concerns for me are still kind of legitimate, yep. but but we'll see what what happens with time. How about Matthew Poitras at fifty four to Boston? So Poitras was a guy who coming into the season, in the first half of the season, uh, there was a lot of interest in. He was an A rated player with Central Scouting. He got off to a really hot start with Guelph. We're talking about how competitive he is, their skill, there's really good hockey sense. And then he really kind of cooled down to the second half of the season. You watch him, he's not that big, he's not that fast, and he's not scoring at this huge rate. So I, I, I thought that the attention to him would dwindle a little bit. I thought he'd still be a you know maybe a mid-round pick. But seeing him going at 50 uh, to Boston, that, that caught my eye. It, you know, you look, say, at another OHL pick. Paul Ludwinski, who didn't have really high scoring rates, but he's an excellent skater, and so at least you kind of you can kind of see the the, the argument. You can make yourself, oh, okay, well, he may not be a scorer, but he could be a bottom six four because he's he skates really well and he competes. With Poitras, I think it's, it's just the compete. I don't think the feet are there. Uh, so, like I said, I, I get the argument, and I've heard from people during the season, at points during the season, who really like this player. Uh, I just think this guy has, he's got a long path to become uh, someone who helps an NHL team night in and night out. You mentioned Chicago. They had two third rounders that I thought were uh, of note: Samuel Savoy, Aiden Thompson. Uh, what's the story there? Uh, Savoy, if, if if you might recall, was one of the highest rated players on my on my top skaters list. Um, I, I remember talking to somebody after the draft. He described to me as like a little missile, where he's just huh. he's an incredible skater. He plays with pace. He competes hard. Uh, and I think those are all things you, you, you hear and you like a lot. Um, you know, the, the downside is he's about five, what is he, five, nine, five, nine and a half. Off the top of my head, what do you have, like 25, 30 points last season in the QMJHL? Um, so, I mean, those are, I thought he was going to get drafted for sure. Just a third round I thought was really interesting. It, it seems like Chicago in, in their draft really prioritized skating and speed. Um, you know, we talked about it in the first round picks. Obviously, Korczynski, great skater. Frank Nazar, great skater. Sam Rinzo can skate. Paul Ludwinski can skate. Ryan Green skates really well. 
Then you have Samuel Savoy, who's an excellent skater. Uh, and then, and then you go to Aiden Thompson at 90 overall as a third year eligible in the USHL. He's one of the top scorers in the USHL, mind you. Not the biggest guy like Savoy, but also a very strong skater with a high compete level. Kind of like Savoy has him, even though he scored this year as a third year eligible in the USHL. I do have some questions on the offense long term. It did seem like they have a type. They wanted, they wanted to get faster. It, it really, I'm not sure if they, if, if they talked about that post draft or not, but just from observing their draft picks, Dominic James too is a burner. Uh, they, it just, it just felt like something they were targeting and maybe sacrificing offensive skill at times, uh, in their ability to get faster. I think the other one that we wanted to talk about here was uh, a late second rounder, uh, Ottawa, Philip Nordberg, the left shot defenseman out of Sweden. Yeah, and I think Philip, you know, uh, Ottawa has made a concerted effort in their drafts in the last few years to get bigger, and they get the big defenseman, Philip Norberg, a six foot four defenseman. I think he has some good puck moving ability. Uh, the skating worried me a little bit. It's kind of funny when we did that seven round mock a few weeks ago. I actually gave Norberg to Ottawa. I think it was in the fourth round, <laughs> though. Uh, I'm not sure if, it, if I remember this one exactly or not, but I thought that was kind of funny when that happened. Uh, so I, I get. I understand why they went after this guy. He's, you know, because he's big. I think he competes well. And I think there is some offense there. But because of the feet, I think there's going to be a lot of work for him to do become an everyday NHL player. Okay, Corey, because I don't believe in giving you vacations uh, now that we've finished the 2022 draft. I'm going to take you right in here at number at uh, 2023. I know you've got your list out now, so you're you're ready for this anyway. But let's start looking ahead. I mean, we, we've heard for years now uh, that Connor Bedard is is the guy here, and, and as well as Matvey Michkov. And no surprise, you've got them one two. How big of a of a jump in, in terms of the difference between the one two this year and one two next year are we looking at? I think it's a rather significant difference in terms of the pure talent. It's, I think you're looking at two guys in Conor Bedard and Matvey Mitchkov who have the pure talent that will be true difference makers, projected legitimate star forwards in the National Hockey League who can have at least a chance to be you know, true scoring leaders uh, in their prime with the one caveat. And you know, we, I think the, with, in, in the 2022 draft, the big debate was – Who's going one? Shane Wright. Who is? Is there a challenger? It felt like we were discussing that for the entire time. I ha- based on where we are right now, it's hard for me to imagine somebody emerging and challenging Connor Bedard or Maffei Mitchkov in, in those one two spots. Things could happen. I've talked to some minority scouts who feel like Fantilli can get to that mark, uh, but at least at least on a pure talent though level though, I find it hard to believe. The discussion for me going into next draft is what do you do? about Vakvei Michkov if you are an NHL organization. Because, man, is that a fun dilemma. It will be even more fun if maybe Conor Bedard has an amazing season, but it's not as amazing as you thought it was going to be. And if Michkov just goes off in the KHL and puts up historic numbers and we get to this point next year and you're like, oh, shit, I think Michkov's the best player. And I think he's the best player by a considerable margin. But I really wish he wasn't on a KHL contract for the next three seasons following next season. Uh, so I feel like that's going to be the big debate in next year's draft. We've talked for uh, a while now on this show about kind of that top three, Bedard, Michkov, and Fantilli. If I told you there was going to be one player to interrupt that trio, who are you taking? Uh, he's not even among the top five or top seven in my list, I don't think. 
because he didn't score a huge rate and didn't really get as many games. But it would be Charlie Stramel would be the one who would come to mind. I think he's kind of that freak athlete, uh, really big, great skater, has skill, highly, highly competitive. I could see a scenario where he just pops in at the University of Wisconsin next season, goes to the World Juniors, is great. That's the one who would be somewhat obvious to me as as a, as a potential guy to to do something like that. Uh, but I think you know my top five other candidates: Zach Benson, Dalbor Dvorsky. Uh, they would be in that mix too. But but Stramo seems to be the upside guy to me uh, among that pool. I'll make the call on Dvorsky as that guy for a couple reasons. Number one, uh, you know, young birthday, six foot one center playing pro hockey. It's in the Allsvenskan, not the SHL, and I know that may end up coming into play for him. But to me, that profile, if he is able to pop, uh, that's going to speak to NHL teams. Uh, maybe I'm just riding the the Slovakia uh, love coming out of this draft where they had both of the top two. Um, but when you think about the, the puck skill at that size, uh, you know, the skating isn't, I don't see as a huge enough problem to keep him out of the out of the very top of this draft. If he is able to produce against men, I think he's the guy that we're talking about. Maybe it doesn't happen until late in the draft. I think he's the guy that we're talking about challenging Fantilli. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a really interesting guy to follow. I think it's going to be interesting right away, too, because to my knowledge, he is not going to Linka Gretzky. He is going to that canceled World Junior. Uh, so, so his draft cycle is going to start off in a very interesting way next season. A couple other guys that I want to ask if there's any chance they, they can climb up your board. Another one, Leo Carlson. I don't know if, I'm, if I've got like a Sweden fascination here or something, but it's another big, skilled centerman. Uh, why is this not a top 10 player? He's already played in the SHL as, a, as an underager. Uh, I mean, he's in the mix. He's not that far out of there. So I, mean, I, 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 oh, I, sure. I, I can buy the argument. Skating on him is, is a notable concern for me from the, from the live games I've seen and, and watching him on video as well. But I love the skill. I love the compete. Uh, I think he's an excellent prospect. Uh, like I said, he's a little bit. He's a, he's a late birthday, so he's a little bit on the older side too. Okay. So just things to consider. But uh, but I, I do think he's an excellent prospect. I can buy if he really plays well in the SHL next season, he can climb into that range. And usually, one of the top program guys is in this mix in the top ten too. I think we're we're a few years in a row now where the top program guy is going top five. I get Stramel counts as that sure. kind of because he's he's just a little old, so he's going to be in college already. But when I saw Will Smith this year, I liked him as a guy who I think has top 10 potential uh, as a scorer and a guy who can play center as well. Yeah, I, I, he is the top guy from the program among the 05 program guys going into next season. I don't think that that age group on the NTDP is all that strong. I mean, you know, there's there's several names listed there in my first round uh, with him and Oliver Moore, like Ryan Leonard, Gabriel Perot. It's, it's not the best age group. Uh, reminds me more of that that age group we had from like that's you know Jake Sanderson aside with that four group with with Bordalo and yeah and and Luke Tuck and Dylan Peterson I think it's closer to that uh, than maybe the one we saw that this this past season uh, but Will Smith is definitely a guy who has big fans in the league very dynamic skill playmaking ability he could he could skate well he can score um, I didn't see that player consistently enough to get him in, into that range. Uh, but I can definitely buy that argument. One thing that stood out to me about your preliminary list, it is not heavy on defensemen. I think the first one is at number nine. That's Cam Allen from Guelph. I know you do like him as well as uh, Mikhail Gulyayev, who checks in at number 12 here. Is this a situation where we're just waiting for a D to emerge? Or is this is this regarded as a pretty weak D class? 
Yeah, it was interesting when I was kind of going through my process and looking at the guys I'd like throughout the season as the underages. I really wasn't finding many defensemen that that, that I was checking in. This was just it was this wasn't a thorough draft list. Obviously, this is the very very early. A lot's going to change. Sure. Don't take it too seriously. List. Uh, but with that being said, I noticed that I wasn't checking off a lot of defensemen, so I sent it around to some scout friends, and I, and I was asking, "Hey, is there somebody super obvious uh, that, that I'm missing here?" And the answer was usually no. Everyone had their pet favorites. The odd person mentioned uh, Tanner Molendik uh, in Saskatoon. Uh, the odd person mentioned Hunter Brashevich with the program, uh, but not not everyone was convinced those those guys fit. Also, so there, I didn't feel like I was missing consensus high-end defense prospects. Uh, but I'm sure as the season goes on, uh, you'll see guys emerge, especially with the national teams. And, and I'm sure there'll be quite a few more defensemen that plug in this time next year into a, into a first-round grade of, of 23 draft class. But uh, in my first look, uh, it was it was really hard to find defensemen to get excited about beyond those two who are very exciting, dynamic, puck-moving defensemen. All right. Well, then on that note, let's move to the mailbag and we'll go back to some questions listeners had about this past draft, starting with Lutzenheiser, who wants to know where would Kirby Doc have had fit had he been eligible for this draft and where would he have fit in your rankings with the scouting report you had for the 2019 draft? Obviously, Doc effectively gets traded for the 13th overall pick uh, here. Uh, so he's going to go to Montreal. Montreal could have made the 13th pick, though. So where would Kirby Doc have, have fit into this mix, uh, I guess, with, with what you know about him today? And where would he have fit in with what you knew about him in 2019? I get Kirby Doc did not have the best season. And I know you expected more of him coming into the season. But, but man, Kirby Doc still a lot of hockey player. He is a 6'4", right-shot defenseman who can skate. He has playmaking skill. Uh, I, I've seen him be a two-way player at times over his career, even if not consistently. It, like, I could be wrong, and I get you got to, there's like cap gymnastics in this, you got to pay him at some point. I get all that stuff. It feels like he's more valuable than a 13th overall pick. Never mind, I know they got 13 plus one other pick there, but it, it feels like he's a, he's like a legitimate still top talent in the NHL. And you look at the list that I did, uh, for this past draft, and I had the tiers where it was kind of broken down. You had the high in the lineup guys, uh, which was Logan Cooley, Simon Nemich, and David Yerichek. I would argue he fits into that group. Maybe as you can argue with the group behind him at the very top of it, I would say. But I, I, I would probably lean towards the, the group with Nemich, Cooley, and Yerichek, at least on pure talent before you bring uh, cap implications into the mix. I'd still take Kirby Doc top ten in in this class, and I, I, ultimately, when you by the time you look at the picks who are coming off in the top ten, I, I think it's enough of a toss up. I, I think if you asked, you know, the Red Wings picked Marco Casper, and I think the the question there is, what is Marco Casper a two C a three C? The Red Wings certainly feel it, it's more the former and maybe even a little higher, but I think that's still the same ultimate projection that you have on, on Kirby Doc there. I don't think I would have traded the eighth pick for Kirby Doc, and and I'm I was fine with them taking. Uh, Casper there. So I, I guess I lean Casper, but I don't think it's a huge gap. And I, I think especially by 12, 13, ultimately 13 ends up being Frank Nazar. So let's, I guess that's the question here. Are you taking Nazar or Doc? I think I'm still betting on Doc, but you get the extra runway with Nazar, which sure. I get is fits for Chicago. So I, I think he's still comfortably, uh, you know, 13th or better, but I think, it, you know, fringe top 10 is probably what I would have done. 
Yeah, and I think if I'm Montreal, I'm taking Kirby Doc over Frank Nazar all day. How many years are you waiting for Frank Nazar to become what Kirby Doc is right now in the NHL? It's it's gonna I think it's gonna be quite a few, quite a few years. And I, I get Doc has issues in his game. His consistency has been an issue dating back to when he was a junior. People might remember that even though he went third overall. Uh, we might have some Ryan's and some Marcus we were having over the last couple of months. His production wasn't very good for for for, <laughs> a, for a high pick. Um, and then he comes in that first year and he's amazing. And we think, oh, he's he's going to be a star. Here, here it comes. What a great pick. And and then it doesn't come as much. So I, like I said, these frustrations have existed for a long time with Kirby. Uh, but I still, like I said, there's just so much player there. It's it, man, like. Unless he rubbed Chicago the wrong way, which I can buy happening based on maybe the you know the the, the gossipy you know stuff that's been said about Kirby over the, over over his time as a hockey player, I still think this is a really good player. I think this is a guy with with his size, his skating, he'll be a two way player. He has skill to score in the National Hockey League. As I, said, I, I if you're a Montreal Canadiens fan, I'm I'm excited by that trade. Well, and you kind of probably hope a new coach maybe can help get through to him, you know, from that standpoint too. I mean, it, it, with with Doc, there's not even the question of can he do it at the NHL level because we've seen it. It's it's just can he do it, like you said, consistently. Um, from that standpoint, sometimes change of scenery can kind of be a shock to the system and and can help with that. So I I still yeah I, I agree with you. Um, next one is from Sport Crunch who says wants to talk about goalies with a fixed goalie budget. Would you prefer an expensive number one and an inexpensive number two? Or to split the money between a 1A and 1B goalies. I'm gonna like kind of put in a side caveat on this here because I don't I think we need to exclude the like Vasilevsky right. tier from this because that's an elite, elite player. Right. Like if, if I had to pay Shistark, if I had to pay Vasilevsky uh, or whatever other top premium goalie is ever in the league at a given time, you pay that guy whatever you whatever you think you need to. Even though Vasilevsky's performance has not always been perfectly consistent season to season. Obviously, a Hall of Fame goalie. He should, in the playoffs. He's made he's made difference year after year. Uh, but yeah, I would in the presumably we're talking about in terms of an expensive number one goalie. We're talking about maybe like a John fifth, Gibson type. Like, yeah, we'll like say. the fifth, the fifth to fifteenth best goalie in the league, or something, some like something like that. I would probably lean to the split the money between the two, just because I feel like if if the expensive guy falters and. Yeah. And if you know anything about goalies in the NHL, it's they are inconsistent. There is no such. There is. It's very rare outside of watching. I think Henrik Lundqvist in his career that you ever ever see a goalie kind of put up consistent numbers year after year after year. If that expensive goalie starts to struggle, like say Sergei Bobrovsky in Florida, you're really stuck because they're paid so much money and nobody wants to take on that contract. Whereas I feel like even if if you take on the Maybe the more expensive, the least expensive one A, but in a more expensive one B. It provides you flexibility options on what to do with them, and even though you may not be getting the premium name, I would argue the difference between the maybe the eighth and the eighteenth best goalie is not that significant to take on that kind of kind of risk. Well, sure, and you never know. To your point, when you're going to be able to get a, a top ten year from a goalie who you may call you know, an 18th best goalie or whatever, you know, like uh, if you want to look at like Nashville and Pittsburgh this year, I don't think there's, you know, maybe Jari, maybe Soros have had stretches where where you could say, you know, 
I think Saros, I guess, probably this year had a, maybe a top five season, but I wouldn't call him a top five goalie in the right. NHL. I think he's more in that like eight to 15 range. Yeah, no, I, I would I would agree with that. But I I don't think you're – if Saros ever wanted to get paid like a top five goalie, I think you'd probably move on for him, correct? Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. Especially since you have Yaroslav Askarov coming up the pipeline. Hopefully. <laughs> yes, time will tell. Not to put too much fear yeah, into. Yeah, well, well, well. He's. I believe he signed already. I, I could be. Could be. I could be mistaken, but I think the issue is more of his performance this past season wasn't all that good. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, all right, the next one is from Chris B, who says it was so fixated on Slavkovsky or Wright for New Jersey. I didn't put enough thought into Simon Nemec. I'm curious where you would rank Nemec in relation to the defenseman taken in the past few drafts. Where would you put him on a list of Power, Luke Hughes, Brant Clark, Jamie Drysdale, Jake Sanderson, Detroit fans? I'm just reading the list he said. It's not a snub at Simon Edvinson. We could put Edvinson in there, though, if you'd like, so that your Detroit fans are, are, are <laughs> not as insulted. But we don't, we don't have yeah, to we, as well. I think in, Do in my Twitter of, mentions a favor. Let's do that. <laughs> um, I, I think Snemich, I guess, would kind of be towards the bottom. Part of that range, but and, and I do love Nemec. I I just I would guess that I would say that Power Hughes Sanderson they're just more dynamic hockey players because they have the offensive ability. Maybe not yep. as much offense as Simon Nemec, but they are you know big, explosive skating players. Maybe I wouldn't call Power skating explosive, but Hughes and Sanderson's are explosive, and, and Power is a quite a good skater for us. For a six 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 seven defenseman, and to go with the offense, whereas Nemec has, I think, is if he's going to be that kind of impact in the NHL, it has to be through the offense. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be a what I would call an elite elite defensive player in the NHL. Uh, and I would rank him above Brian Clark because uh, he is, even though his skating isn't amazing, I think it's a strong skating element, and that's kind of the issue with Clark is he has great offense. I'm not convinced he has more offense than Simon Nemec. In fact, interesting enough, I think. Simon, you know, you look at, you know, this is, you don't, wouldn't have imagined this a couple of years ago where you're comparing two premium prospect, defense prospects production in the Slovakia league. But if you yes. look at Brian Clark's <laughs> uh, production in his draft season versus Simon Nemec's, it's actually quite a stark difference. It's interesting too. I, I think I agree with you. I think for me, I would say the top three is the three you said, and then I would go Edvinson uh, followed by Nemec closely and then Drysdale Clark. I think that would be my order. So probably yeah. for me, I might even put Sanderson one, but I I, I don't know. I, I'm not there yet. I'm not, I would, but I, I I can see the argument. Uh, he's definitely in the in that mix, and I might I might have and Luke Drysdale. might be one too in a year. I mean, yeah, like he might win yeah. the Hobie this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I might have Drysdale a little bit higher than you because I just I really like how he flavors his man. I get the toolkit isn't as you know sexy as the other ones. I think you can imagine those other players having just more offensive upside than Drysdale, but I but Drysdale did, has looked very good versus pros the last couple of years. So I would probably lean to him over Evanson over over Nemec until those two do that in the NHL. All right, uh, Jonathan Barnes says he likes the Blue Jackets pick of Denton Matejchuk. I know you did as well, uh, but I'm concerned that his skill set is a bit redundant there since they have Wierenski and Boakvist locked in for the next few seasons. Kind of wish they've gone Frank Nazar. What are your thoughts on that? This is a topic we've talked a ton about on this show where uh, we all like these really dynamic uh, young defensemen, but only one of them gets to be on your top power play. Right. And 
is Bulkfist even on the top power play in Columbus? I, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sliding Columbus fan. No, I think Wierenski is, right? I think, I yeah, think Wierenski yeah. is. Yeah. yeah, 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 that's what I, that's what I would imagine. And Wierenski, I don't think, is in that same vein. He has more size. He's a great skater. and you know, But he's more. still taking that top power play spot. Right. So I guess the question yeah. becomes more or less about power play time and more about how many sub 6-0, defensemen can you ice at the same time? And, you know, and yeah. we, we discussed this with the Rangers going into last season about Zach Jones, Niels Lundqvist, um, and Adam Fox, and, and lo and behold, neither Niels Lundqvist or Zach Jones end the season on the on the roster. It's Braden Schneider. Uh, and I guess now the question is, can Denton Matejchuk and Adam Bokvist exist on the same blue line? And my argument to that would be, I feel like Adam Bokvist is the more replaceable one, if I had to guess. Even though he had a lot of offense this season, and I think you know, I think he had a good season. I think he's kind of gotten his his shit fair share of criticism after it didn't really work out in Chicago, but. Uh, I think he scored a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah, he had uh, whatever it was, eleven goals and, and twenty two points this season, which is very good for a defenseman. But he's only playing. I think he played you know third pair of minutes because his, that defensive game, as it always has been with him, is a significant issue. I don't think with Matej Chuck it's going to be that kind of an issue. I think you look at Matej Chuck and because he's such a good skater, that which a better skater than Bokvist and a little bit more competitive than Bokvist. I think you can imagine him taking even strength shifts a lot more reliably. And I think now we'll see how Matejchuk develops and whether he becomes a good pro. Uh, but I can see him putting pressure on Bokvist to to basically keep him out of the lineup, to keep him away from his power play time. Uh, because I, I can, I can, yeah. But I think Matejchuk is just so talented that I'm fine with that pick. And I get that maybe there'll there'll be a time where he has to make a decision, just like how I think right now the Rangers have to make a decision on what they do with Niels Lundqvist and Zach Jones going forward. But that decision will be years down the line, and we'll have a much better idea what Bokvist is in two or three years' time. The point I was making on the power play, though, was more about like if you have one of these guys and, and you need them to, you need them to do a lot of their damage there, right? Sure. And now it's it's not just you know, for, I'll come back to Bokvist in a second here, but you also got David Juracek, who I really want on my sure. power play. You know, he he may be able to play a flank because of the shot, but I think it just diminishes the ways that you can kind of shelter those guys to because the argument for certainly for a Bokvist is. Yeah, okay, he's not going to give you the big defensive, but if he gets you 30 to 40 points, uh, even if they come on the power play, he's really helping you still. That To me, that's where that comes in. Now, I will say with Bolkvist, his shooting percentage this year was 17%. So when we talk about those 11 goals, you may not be seeing half of them on a consistent basis, and that would really scare me if I were Columbus. Right. His shot's a big asset, but that's a really high shooting percentage for, for a defenseman. I, I mean, there were, I think, right. some, I think, I think, his, I think in his OHL, his last OHL season, he had just as many goals as assists, if I, if I recall, or something. Or he had a, a big playoff where he scored a lot of goals, but it's, it's always been a major asset, but yeah, that, that's definitely probably not sustainable going forward. You made a great point about year checks. I think I did, I probably should have, I've mentioned in that. I think. Yeah. You could probably still say that Bokvist is better on the power play. I could even buy Matejchuk being better on the power play, but I can't say that with confidence. Yeah, I think, you know, Yerchuk does seem like a very prototypical second power play defenseman. And you t- and teams roll two defensemen on the power play, on a second yeah. power play usually. So you can envision Yerchuk, Bokvist, Yerchuk, Matejchuk, Matejchuk, Bokvist in some combination at, d- at different points. Um, but now I think you go from with Columbus where – they didn't really have many great young defensemen in the organization. It was Boakfist and, and Andrew Peake, essentially. And, and now you'll have some competition brewing and at least gives you some flexibility at that position, which I think is fine. 
I'm still a Corson Coolman's believer too. I know you're right, not right, quite right, as high. Right, right. I, 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 I missed him. And actually, when I said that, I think I said it in the biggest needs column. I said they hadn't drafted a defenseman in the first, second round in quite a few years. And uh, people pointed out to me that I also missed Corson Coolman's in that article. Uh, and I, okay, they made so many picks it was impossible to keep up. Which is like I, which is funny because I'm a Corson Coolman's fan. I've consistently been, I think, among the, the you know the more you know. Yeah, you had him in the top 20 last year. More vocal believers of him. Uh, some people are writing about him. So I, I, I don't hate Corson Kuhlman. These are just mental slips. Don't come after me, Columbus fans, at least over that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, last one, we'll end on a light one. Andrew Hamilton, what were your favorite food and drink establishments that you visited in Montreal? I got to say, Corey, I think I did a lot more drinking than eating over the course of the last week. Yeah, no, I... <laughs> You know, I, I go. I go to Montreal quite a bit, you know, because 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 of hockey reasons. Uh, so I'm not sure I was, you know, looking to go on a you know a food tour when I was there. Yeah, I think the Athletic and, and the entire National Hockey League spent quite a bit of time on Crescent Street. Yes, we did, and and uh, yeah, there, yes, we did. I liked on the food side. I liked Dunn's. Uh, I I didn't make it to Schwartz's, but I had. I had smoked meat at Dunn's twice. Uh, I liked the food. I also liked the vibe quite a bit. I didn't uh, steal a bite of Dom's poutine, uh, which maybe I should have done, but but he polished it off quick enough that I don't know if there was going to be any to spare. Um, I also like there's a dumpling spot. So whenever I go to Canada, I love eating Chinese food there. Um, it's honestly way better than we have in the States. And there was a dumpling place, Sammy and Soup Dumpling, that I went, uh, and I really like it. Soup Dumplings are my favorite, one of my favorite foods. So it's it's on my must list whenever I get to a major Canadian city. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for us, I think, Corey. Uh, time for you to get a well-deserved break if you've got it in you. Thanks, everybody else, for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show in the Prospect Series. You can subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. Start with the 30-day free trial, and then it's just 99 cents a month after that. And, of course, right now you can subscribe to the Athletic for a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. Yes, the draft is behind us, but free agent frenzy is about to pick up. You're going to want in for that, too. And this time last year, we were signing off for a while and saying, enjoy your summer and, and we'll see you in, in a few months. But not this summer, because no. <laughs> we have a World, we got a World Juniors. <laughs> the World Junior Hockey Championship is uh, less than a month away. Uh, so we'll have coverage of that and the Hoinka Gretzky Cup uh, uh, coming up shortly on this show with that we will get to all that uh, in the coming weeks thanks for listening we'll talk to you soon